0: you're listening to kitchen table finance join dave shotwell and nick nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical
1: hey dave how are you doing today not bad nick not bad Another podcast day today, on an off day today, doing, recording a day early, but it's still beautiful fall day here in Michigan, and we've got a good topic. We are going to do another book review. It's been a minute, Dave. Yeah. Um, and this is undoubtedly one of both of our favorite books, especially when it comes to investments and investing.
0: Yes. Yep. We're going to talk about a book. It's a, it's a small book. It's called The Investment Answer, and it was written, it was published in 2010 by Daniel, it was written by Daniel C. Goldie. He's a CFA and a CFP and president of a fairly prominent, large registered investment advisory firm, and a guy named Gordon Murray, who was a Wall Street guy, Goldman Sachs guy, Lehman Brothers, Credit
1: Suisse yeah probably probably seen a lot in his day, yeah, yeah. he
0: had he had seen if if it was investment related, it had it had crossed his radar at some point. see so he, he worked for all the big dogs on Wall Street. When they were writing the book, he had actually been diagnosed with brain cancer. and this was kind of his what he wanted is his legacy more or less, to put out a, a simple book that would lay out for people how to think about their their finances and their portfolios.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why both you and I gravitated towards it because it's, you know, we've been kind of maybe not Wall Street, but uh, we've definitely been in the broker dealer sales wheel mm-hmm. of the investment world and, and kind of seen how that played out to some degree and um, chose to go a different route, uh, very similar to what this book is talking about and and some of the reasons behind that. And so it just kind of resonated with what we try to do and and, um, how we try to think about investing. I, I came across this book in 2011,
0: shortly after it came out. And I remember grabbing it at a bookstore in downtown Ann Arbor and reading it that afternoon in a coffee shop. And at the time I was working for a broker dealer, you know, in the, in the more traditional investment type world. And I kind of had an inkling about like what fee only advisory firms were about and fiduciary duty to clients, but I didn't really know how to do it. But I remember reading this book all in one sitting, took me like two and a half hours, a couple of cups of coffee, uh, back of, um, I think the Barnes and Noble in Ann Arbor. And I went home and I threw it on the table and I told my wife, this is what I want to do. I want to be the type of advisor that they recommend people seek that they look for. That's awesome.
1: Powerful, powerful stuff.
0: It's meant for everyday people outside the industry, but that was the effect. And I know I'm not the only advisor that had that reaction.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of written as like a a simple guide for uh, middle-class Americans and how to handle their investments and really focusing on what's important and eliminating a lot of the technical salesy stuff, uh, which I, I think is good because Wall Street has kind of gotten you know if you think of wall street as a whole as a money making machine there's a lot of ways to make money and one of the prominent people that's been kind of started and in, in fighting this fight for a long time is uh jack bogle of um vanguard right vanguard, when he came up yeah. with the uh the first index fund and you know as a part of a mutual fund family and and kind of his story of how he kind of created that and talked about that and and just mm-hmm. reducing the fees and eliminating the management. Um, very interesting story and, and kind of how that has become successful.
0: Really what, uh, what uh, Mr. Goldie and Mr. Murray do in the book is they lay out five basic questions that you need to ask yourself about your portfolio and your investments. And I think it really simplifies... And gets to the important philosophical things about making decisions when you're managing your money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, the first one, I think, comes as no surprise. It's the uh, do it yourself decision. And, and right. that is, should you do it yourself? And I guess, you know, obviously we're somewhat biased here. <laughs> um, <laughs> we think that everybody should work with a financial planner in some way, shape, or form. But I think we would both agree and we've had these conversations with prospective clients, even clients, where if you're not taking advantage of the financial planning services, just hiring someone to create an investment portfolio is probably a thing of the past, considering how far we've come with technology, including mm-hmm. asset allocations and the availability of that information versus hiring somebody to do those things for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the authors actually go through like some of the common things that do-it-yourselfers trip themselves up with. And I thought that was good, you know, explaining some of the emotional issues and the overconfidence issues or underconfidence issues, you know, that works both ways. And, you know, i you know, people end up buying high and selling low and, falling prey to uh, different behavioral finance issues where an objective voice in the room may cushion you from that. That's our our goal, right? To be that objective voice in the room that can say, wait a minute, you're letting, you're not thinking about this right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, I guess it depends on the degree of how how you would consider yourself a do-it-yourselfer, right? Like mm-hmm. do you have an actual investment plan and philosophy that you're executing on, or are you just buying some things and then on the on a whim, you know, taking a look and changing it or doing something different without a real plan in place, right? So so that's the first part of the question of the first question. And then the second part
0: is if you are gonna hire somebody. Whom do you hire? And he goes through, you know, some diagnostics there to explain all the different weirdness that is the investment industry, which we've talked about before. We can, you know, some of our past podcasts have discussed uh, fee only versus fee based versus commission and different structures. Not surprisingly, and, and a little self-serving for us here to tout this book, but they recommend you seek out an independent fee-only financial planning firm that's going to act as your fiduciary and have your best interests in heart. You know, they lay out a logical path to help you understand that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll go ahead and make sure that we link our previous podcasts on the different types of financial planners. Um, but if, if you don't want to hear it from us, you can definitely uh, pick up this book and, and take a look at what um, they have to say. Informed decision number two, Dave, is the asset allocation decision
0: yeah and you know we spend a lot of time with that because that's where the rubber meets the road right between the portfolio and understanding people's goals is how we how we allocate assets between cash and stocks and bonds to keep things simple. And so the authors do a pr- as good a job as I've ever seen in a few pages of explaining to the layperson and even people that have some inve- that have done some investing before I think can benefit from reading their descriptions of the interplay between stocks and bonds and cash and how to arrive at a good decision about how much of each you should own and then you know the pros and cons of each approach really
1: this is an interesting one too and, and as we've been um doing these kinds of things with new and even existing clients dave you know there's there's lots of different investment risk tolerance surveys and softwares mm-hmm. out there or if you go one of the robo advisors, they'll ask you those you know twenty questions to decide what type of investor you are, and, and I think what we've found a lot lately is people don't always necessarily answer that survey in a way that gives them a true answer of what their asset allocation should be, right? Uh, which I think is interesting because it's more than just you know. I guess what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't base your portfolio on how you answer 20 questions at one (laughs) point of time of your entire life because A, those things are going to change depending on when you're taking that survey and B, if you don't necessarily understand or if you're not sure or just even the way that you tend to answer these standardized questions might give you an outcome that is less than desirable. We always talk to
0: clients too about the difference between your risk tolerance and your risk capacity you know, and, and with risk capacity being how much risk can the plan take or how much risk does it take to make the plan work? Depending Mm -hmm. on, depending on if the glass is half full or the glass is half empty, but you know, there's, there's a lot to that. So I think the authors do as good a job as I've ever seen though, in a short number of pages of, of, helping people understand that concept.
1: Absolutely. I just think it's one of those things that, you know, you have to be careful with when you're talking about asset allocation. If you are going to put yourself in the do-it-yourself realm, um, it's certainly something you want to pay a little closer attention to and don't just necessarily Mm -hmm. rely on one survey at one point in time in your life. Question number three, then,
0: is after you've decided that overall allocation to make the diversification decision, and that means looking within those broad classes, how to choose the subsectors and how those interact.
1: Yeah. So it gets a little bit more complicated once we peel back the, you know, what kind of risk level, how much stocks to bond should you have. There's definitely some decisions that need to be made about what type of stocks, right? Like, you, if you have a 60-40 portfolio, chances are you don't want all 60% of those stocks into tech stocks, for example. Mm-hmm. So how do you then break it down and figure out what asset classes to include and, and what ones to maybe not include? Right, right. And how those interplay with each other.
0: So the uh, fourth question then to consider is the active versus passive decision and this is another thing that we talk with clients about pretty regularly and nick you and i are both big believers in an overall passive approach and i'll never do as good a job as as the book does but in a nutshell active management means having stock pickers inside your mutual funds, trying to decide, you know, how much Ford or how much GM they should have on a given day. And they tend to be expensive and they tend to do a lousy job at beating the markets just to put it in, you know, simple terms. And they're not consistent when they do beat the markets.
1: This is one of those, you know, I kind of shake my head at this point of my career in the industry. When you kind of think about like, how many active mutual funds there actually are out there i mean there's mm-hmm. thousands of them and so you know just the thought that there's thousands of of individuals out there that run active mutual funds that think they can beat their benchmark on a regular basis it just doesn't doesn't make sense in terms of of how that plays out Well, you know
0: to me back to you know something you said in the beginning there to me that's the essence of when we talk when we talk about wall street that is what it means to me it's the difference between convincing people that you're good and being good <laughs> right yeah. and you know they're very good at convincing you know creating marketing strategies that will talk about their investment performance in a way that makes it sound or you know their strategies sound like it's it's some unique great thing that they've they've solved all the all the market problems right and you know time and time again the statistics show there's no free lunch in this in this business and they all get brought back down to earth at some point and will if they've outperformed for a few years, I'll bet they'll underperform for the next couple of years. It's
1: Yeah, well, and it's interesting too, right? Like how do these funds that consistently underperform their benchmarks stay around? And and I yeah. guess the only solution that I have or answer I have to that is probably good salespeople. Yeah. Quote unquote financial advisors that can, can, you know, sell the fund that's clearly not as good as what else is available out there. Well, Um, yeah,
0: you know, it it brings to mind the old um, behavioral finance concept of uh, overconfidence and that, you know, the, the classic, the classic um, analogy to this is if you is, if you survey Americans, adult Americans, the overwhelming majority of people will tell you they're above average drivers. Yeah. And the definition of being average means that they can, no more than 50% of them can be above average. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, when we, when you ask any wall, any wall street firm will tell you that they're the best at, at beating the market. And, you know, they can't, by the way the market works, they can't all, you know, so, right. Yeah, um, absolutely. Anyway. So and one more thing to put a pin in that the other side of the equation is passive funds have very low expenses because we're not paying someone inside that fund to try to pick the right stocks. Cause we know yeah. at the end of the day, that's not going to be worth it. So and we, got, never, we talked about, we talked about the, the active part, but we never came back to talk about the, uh,
1: Yes. yes, very true. And they'll never beat the benchmark because their goal is to be the benchmark right. and they'll right. never right. have they'll never send out a salesperson to tell you that they can. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I once had a long conversation with somebody who handed me back my proposal and said these funds don't even beat their benchmarks. <laughs> and I <was> just like <laughs> you know more than that's that's kind of the point. <laughs> but uh that's a different story for a different day. So, the fifth and final decision, as far as personal portfolio management goes, is the rebalancing decision. And it's interesting, you know, I've thought about us doing a podcast or a blog article on rebalancing because we talk about it as a good thing, but we never really go into detail on what it mm-hmm. means. But, it, you know, in a nutshell, it's deciding when to bring your portfolio back to your targets. And the reason it's important is because it controls risk and helps you capture the gains by selling the things that are high and buying the things that are low, knowing that the teeter-totter will flip back the other way.
1: Yeah. And and I think the big thing is just making sure you're in line with what your risk is, right? I think back to 2008 and all of these people that wanted to retire and hadn't bothered to look at their 401k for the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years because things were going well. Mm-hmm. lo and behold, the bottom falls out and they f- realize that they have 90% in stock when they really only, want you know, originally had maybe right. 70%. And right. uh, that's that's a brutal wake-up call, right? <laughs>
0: right, and then it's too late to do anything about it. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of different methods and and ways to keep accounts in balance. There's no perfect answer. There's pros and cons to every approach. You know, for our managed portfolios, we rebalance quarterly. And we rebalance within certain tolerances. If things are close to what we want, we don't we don't tinker with them. But um, we don't make it perfect. But there's there's a lot of different methodology to it. So they kind of discuss the pros and cons and how you can think about that on a personal level too.
1: So um, those are the uh, the five things, Dave. Just in recap, the do-it-yourself decision. Then you have to make the asset allocation decision, and then diversification within your asset allocation active versus passive and the rebalancing decision to kind of round things up. One thing I I was going to say at the beginning or after,
0: you know, the first question, the do-it-yourself versus hiring somebody, even if you are going to remain, even if you do decide to hire somebody, I've found it useful to have clients read this book early on in the relationship because it does give them context to understand a lot of what we're doing um it just kind of it is it, you know it doesn't work for everybody but some people are reading oriented you know and it kind of reinforces when we talk about things in meetings why we're doing what we're doing and why we feel it's important
1: yeah absolutely it's not uncommon for us we have a bunch of copies around to give out to a client yeah, to kind of them dozens of copies of this book figure that that piece out so um, yeah definitely, you know, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you are planning on or wanting to hire an advisor, this book, I think, helps you either way. Um, It's just a good common sense resource, easy to understand and um, impactful in terms of, you know, how you look at investments and, and how you look at, you know, what you've maybe been sold by. Wall Street or Mm -hmm. um, other financial advisors along the way so
0: yeah yeah so I think we can put a link to uh, the book itself on our
1: absolutely we can figure that we'll put a link to the book Um, and then as always if you have questions or a future topic you would like to hear us discuss feel free to reach out at info at srbadvisors.com As always been a pleasure Dave been fun Nick thank you
0: Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.